It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lokabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. In addition to cboc.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at turnboot.com. If you're in or getting into the IO psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking to jumpstart your career and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. Well, hello and welcome everyone to our weekly gathering for IOs, HR recruiters, and all of us who deal with people trying to help them in the business world. Uh, Jeremy, uh, we've got a really interesting topic today. Uh, We're gonna be looking at creativity, if I'm not mistaken, which is really quite interesting to me. So about making creativity happen in the workplace, which is, you know, (laughs) I think most of us assume there's no creativity happening in the workplace. And it's quite often, you know, the reason that someone like me will get called in because we need to be creative and you're in the arts. So you must know something about being creative. Uh, But where did you want to take this topic? So this is another. So this is something that I pulled from a Psychology Today article. I just put the link in the in the chat. The title of it for anyone listening on the recorded podcast is Making Creativity and Innovation Happen, New Research Outlines, Who Should Innovate, and How how to Create Innovative Cultures. There is, it's interesting. So we look at the the different, you know, we so IO psychology is going to be in your social science, your psychology department of, uh, of a university. And then you've got your organizational behavior, which is run by your business and your management. Um, uh, uh, departments, right? So when you look at from organ from an organizational behavior standpoint, creativity is a product. It's a work process that's done. It's a product, something to that effect. So it's an it's an actual outcome. When we think of creativity as IOs, many of us come at this from an assessment point of view in terms of individual creativity. And typically, I think just day to day, we think of creativity in terms of kind of like you mentioned, Tom, someone said, all right, you're creative. You know, what can you think of to innovate? When in fact, creativity, when you look at the, when you look, when we look at this article, a lot of it is saying, all right, so we've got to move a little bit away from the actor centered, which would be the individual centered approach to creativity in the workplace and really look at the environment and creating that particular environment from, you know, from CEO, all the way down. So that's what we're going to talk about today is how can we look at how, how can we look at increased productivity in the workplace? And one of those is, you know, just in general, one of those is making people feel welcome to ask questions about what about something that's going on in an organization or a process or a team and inviting 
people to challenge and be okay with risk-taking. And when you look at, if anyone's familiar with the leadership challenge, Kuzis and Posner, what is it, 50, 60 years now of research, they created the leadership practices inventory, but they went worldwide, you know, decades and decades of research. They found that there's five commonly held things that are cross-culture that people look for in leaders. And one of those is encouraging risk-taking. So it lines up with the, with the science on you know, good leadership. But now we move over to how can that leadership actually start to create you know, innovative workplace cultures? So are, are we looking at creativity in how to make creativity flow so that we can think outside the box, come up with ideas that may be a little risky, may be something other people haven't thought about, but is that the kind of creativity we're talking about getting those juices going? It is. And by, and by doing that, it, it's almost like this continual uh, loop when people feel free to, to be creative. And we also, it, it's also important to start looking away from, all right, creativity is set for certain job types. Creativity is set for certain people in certain organizations, because really the creativity ideally should and could be happening with every job type, every level, every position. And there is a way to foster that creativity and not just make it so that people aren't saying, well, I'm not a creative person. I shouldn't speak up or it's not my position. I shouldn't speak up. That's where it kind of becomes this, you know, team centered leader, leader led ability to let that creativity flow and increase, you know, productivity and processes through that. I see Roxanne has her hand up. So let's go to you, Roxanne. Hey, everyone. So speaking of creativity, I think it's really good for everybody to reflect on what exactly creativity can mean within the workplace. Um, As simple as, is this person looking to find a new way of doing things? Are they innovative in that respect or always searching for something new that can help benefit the organization? One thing that leadership should take into account are what fosters creativity. One aspect I would think of is psychological safety and also, you know, just autonomy. Do employees have autonomy to do their job roles by themselves without micromanagement? Some of these things are very base level and are the foundation for creativity to be able to exist in the first place. Do you find that there's a lot of creativity in your position? Like, are you allowed to be creative? I am actually allowed to be creative. Um, My role right here is very administrative level, but we deal with a lot of spreadsheet work and a lot of our creativity is finding new formulas and queries and able to make our job roles even better for reporting. And I think that's sort of the track we're on. Dr. Arianna, let's go to you and Dr. Martha will come to you next. Yeah, I just want to reiterate that I definitely agree with what Roxanne was saying. And a lot of times it's about creating the right environment for employees characterized by accepting of vulnerability. Um, We find in the creative process Inputting new ideas is actually a highly vulnerable process for a lot of people, Um, but you can create the right environment where people are excited to hear your ideas. But unfortunately, I do see with more frequency than I'd like that sometimes people have a really hard time talking to their managers or giving, you know, basic feedback. So creativity goes even more beyond it when we want to innovate and change processes and streamline our work better, do things differently. So creating that safe environment is, I think, step one. And and let me ask you, because, you know, working with first year acting students and trying to ignite their creativity, often one of the roadblocks is sort of like, if I do something, I might be wrong. It's that failure aspect. So when you talk about creating a safe space or a safe environment, 
are we adding to that notion the idea of letting people fail so that they can recover and do it better? Absolutely. I think that a huge component of the creative process is trial and error, experimentation. So inherent in the the ideal creative process is almost an expectation of failure. So you can iterate and learn what worked and what didn't work. And so we do have cultures where people, failure is not productive. It's kind of the mindset or, you know, like things like that, where people can get so drawn into the day-to-day, the hustle and bustle, where experimentation, creativity, leaving room for vulnerability, these are all, you know, extras that we need to begin to incorporate, understand the strategic vision of innovating in the long term and not just doing things that we've been doing for the last 50 years um, because we're scared to try something new. Well, that would definitely be a good start. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you and then Linda Ann or over to you. One of the things that I think is important to consider is the company's culture, because we can verbalize that we want you, the employee, to be creative, and we may say this, that, or the other. But if the culture is such that it really discourages deviation from what is accepted or what is the norm or will tells you that it's okay to fail, but when you fail, the experience is different that can be a problem. So we can say, hey, let's all be creative, put on your thinking caps, throw out your ideas. But if the culture doesn't support that, that can really uh, prevent true creativity. So that's important to consider. Do you think that this is part of the sort of global change that we're seeing that organizations really have to find this new paradigm or new way of working And it's really sort of centered on that aspect of culture that you need to fix or change the culture of what you're doing. And if we can do that, then creativity really becomes one of the pillars of that new culture change. Absolutely. But cultures are so deeply rooted and they tend to be very, very difficult to change. And culture really comes down from top down. You can put all kinds of inspirational sayings on your walls. You can have all kinds of mission and purpose statements associated with an organization. But if the leadership at the very top is not supportive and is not following and and showing an example of what message you're trying to convey, then all of that is just talk. So absolutely, culture is huge. But it's also difficult to change unless you have everybody on top on board. And do you think we're seeing that in the industry? Are those leaders interested in change or are they just want to bash their head against the wall and and make people do what they want to do? You know, it's so personal, depends on, on the individual leader. But what I am seeing is that more and more people of a newer generation are starting businesses, becoming entrepreneurs. So I think overall, there is a global change in that sense, because even if there are people who are resistant to change, who are not interested in updating their culture, if you will, there are enough new coming, you know, new incoming businesses with fresh blood and new ideas that eventually will outnumber Um, the old ideas and push them to the side. And while that's happening, you're going to lose your best employees because they want to work for that organization. Yeah. Linda, let's go to you and then Lee, we're over to you. 
Excuse me. So to reiterate what somebody else had said earlier is, you know, psychological safety is king in um, in any effective organization and culture. I think, though, that it's it's more than that. Right. Because even though you might have the psychological safety in the meeting or wherever you are, if to speak up and say, what about this idea, et cetera, if the the operations people or whomever have to make a change or adapt are allowed to provide feedback, it often gets shot down at that level, right? So you might have the safety to express the new ideas, but then it gets shot down pretty easily because it requires organizational change or adjustment or just more work for people to make the um, adaptation. So one of the gifts I experienced in COVID is I went an entire year without negative feedback. And that was amazing for my growth and for me being willing to take chances and things like that. So what sometimes companies, and I'm not sure if it might be Disney who does this as a part of their Imagineer process is, and, and companies are doing this, larger companies are doing this um, to, to be creative is I think it's Disney has a completely isolated create creative department. They don't get the feedback from, well, that's not going to work because of X until the, the idea is completely formed and we figure out how to implement it. It's not a, does it work? It's like, how do you make it work? And the, um, and some larger companies, what they're doing now, because you need to be able to adjust to the environment that's changing so quickly is they created a, a subsidiary or a spinoff that's a small organization and call it their agile organizations. And they're the ones that can go through the processes much more quickly than the large company can. They're not bogged down by this huge bureaucratic culture, et cetera. And then they bring those innovations to the organization. Um, so I think it really, it's not just about having the ideas and voicing them, but is the entire organization set up to make it um, not just safe, but to be excited about implementing something next. Well, and you're absolutely right. You know, going, going back to the world of theater and improv, you know, there is the concept of no blocking that, you know, when someone throws a suggestion out, you can't go, no, <laughs> you know, let's go to the grocery store. No, let's go to the bank. That's blocking where it's, you know, let's go to the grocery store. Yes, let's. And you continue to follow that path and you see where it leads. And I think you're right that those negative insights come in too quickly and they just shut down the creative process. So it's not only creating that safe space, but it's allowing that, you know, taking the negative out of it. And it's great to hear that, you know, someone, you know, let's do this for, you know, you got to do it for a whole year and it really sort of does open your eyes. Uh, Lee, let's go to you. You know, first time I want to say that uh, what you just said gave me a flashback back to my college theater days and my uh, my stage combat instructor, when he would give us a, a thing, his his response would be, shall we? And our, our response was to be let's. So that's uh, just reminds me of that. Let's just roll on into it. Um uh, a couple of things real quick. Uh, one thing, you know, going back to, to, you know, the military, you know, I mean, you don't get much larger organizations than that. Um, and the the levels, the strided levels, you don't really, you, you don't get much more than that either. And so I've seen on a local level where people can say, you know, hey, let's, let's do things differently and accept it and move on up. But then um, to, um, and I'm sorry, I forgot who said it, talking about it coming from the top. 
several years back, we had a new uh, admiral in charge of the Navy Reserve. And he came in and said, you know, the most dangerous words, we've always done it that way. And he came in with this whole slew of things he wanted to do different, uh, very little of which actually happened. And because he had some some pretty good ideas, but there was um, inertia between him and the bottom. And, uh, you know, you know, any anybody who's ever seen like a toddler who does want to do something and how they just become dead weight. That's what we had. We're not uh, we're going to do this. Yeah, OK. And then it just doesn't. And without some kind of mechanism to, to kind of force the issue between the top and the bottom, then you don't really, you know, nothing happens. Um, I will say that necessity is a mother invention, though, because like COVID, uh, I saw rapid changes in the, in the Navy that I never, ever thought I would see with the, the remote work and redoing IT assets and contracts and all that kind of stuff to allow people to be able to work remotely in ways that, frankly, I never thought would happen. It's just not the way that we do things. And uh, so sometimes you, you do things because you have to. Um, but uh, another thing that, uh, you know, my company actually has an innovation lab. And so you can actually rotate through an innovation lab to where that, that's your job. And it's a let's see what can happen kind of thing. It's not a uh, there, there's not a no, that's a bad idea. Unless, of course, it's illegal and that's blah, blah, blah. But, uh, you know, and, and that's kind of a fascinating concept to be able to do that kind of removed, of, you know, what's possible. Um, and actually, I saw a thing on a, a Jameson whiskey. They have a micro distillery inside their main distillery so that they can try new things. So it doesn't interrupt their main production. You know, we're not making changes that are going to affect our business or whatever else. We're going to try new things. And they've got a, 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 a space set up specifically for that with people who that's their job. And uh, they try new things to bring to market. And, uh, you know, just kind of interesting stuff. And I'd like to see more of that going, you know, as we go forward, I think we will see more. And do you think that 10 years from now, if we follow that path, we're going to be st- you know, set, standing there going, I can't believe how we used to do things? I think so. I mean, just look back, you know, think about, you know, those of, of my vintage looking back and you think of how things were done in, you know, say the 80s versus today. And, you know, you look back to your first job or whatever and you go, I can't believe we used to do that. I can't believe that used to be okay. Yeah. You know, that sort of thing. And, you know, stuff that was commonplace and normal today, you become a pariah by doing it uh, because times change. And so just in my lifetime, you can look back and you can see how things change. So absolutely. I, I absolutely think that when my children reach my age, they're going to look back and go, I don't recognize that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Dr. Martha, let's go to you. I'd like to add to Linda Ann's point, because that was a very important point. We can encourage employees to be creative, but if none of the ideas that are presented are ever realized, then how long before our encouragement is nothing but empty words? If we have to have the understanding that all ideas will not be realized, some ideas may, some ideas may be partly realized, but there has to be some kind of reward for the effort. So I just wanted to add that. Uh, to to this point, because we can encourage people all day long, but if no ideas are ever realized in any way, then that encouragement means nothing. People will stop trying. And, so, and correct me if I'm wrong, but sometimes that encouragement doesn't need to be, you know, a bump in your wage or a new position. It can be, here's a Starbucks card, you know, with $20 on it. So you can, <laughs> you know, just a little thank you. But we do want to keep you know, encouraging that sharing of ideas, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you can encourage people in so many different ways. 
It can be with incentives. It can be with praise or recognition. It can be with allowing them to fail as long as they've tried to improve something and 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 do something new and try a new way of doing things. So there are so many different ways of encouraging people. But make sure that it doesn't stop there. That that some of those ideas are actually seriously considered. And implemented, be it in part or in their entirety. Because if people are coming up with good ideas, what was the point of all that thinking and brainstorming if you don't want to implement them? Yeah. And once again, that might require that change of culture. Right. Yeah. Linda Ann, let's go to you. Yeah, I think that's what Dr. Martha said is really important. If you don't, if there's no movement, then what's the point? You know, um, I just want to mention something. I think it's, I think I read in an article that. Um, is it is it Susan Blakely who was the founder of Spanx? And I think it was her that had mentioned that when she was growing up, her father didn't at the normal dinner table or whatever conversation. You know how most people say, "How was your day? What did you do?" Did etc. He asked her, "What did you fail at today?" And so it was the encouragement of you know taking risk and. And finding out what works and what doesn't work, and it's and you know, and then you look where she is. She took the risk, right? And <laughs> so I think that that kind of mindset, just from the time that that we're young, if we think about that, um, is is really important. The other thing too is, you know, when when Lee was talking about the like um, Jameson's micro distillery and the. Uh, the agile organizations where they're trying things before they bring it back to the company or take it to the market or so forth. There's the opportunity then to develop that cost effectiveness model. Like what's it, how does it benefit the organization to uh, make this change? And then you talk about how do people facilitate change? And my understanding of change is that you decide to change and then you move quickly. You make the change and move on. You don't drag it out and say, well, we'll do it step by step, et cetera. No, that's just going to be a lot of times that's fodder for sabotage, you know, for failure. So um, I think once you decide to move forward and make a change, you have to be really purposeful and careful about how you institute that change. And, you know, I want to go back to what you started to talk about, about getting people comfortable with failure because I know that was one of the most difficult transition with new students who, you know, are all the same age as your new employees. But, you know, they're a generation who has been encouraged not to fail, like like most of our generations. And so they take failure as a negative. And it takes time to transition them to that knowledge that failure is not always a negative. Sometimes it's the best medicine to move forward. But once they get that and once they accept that, you really see them, their, their, their creativity just explodes. So I, I think you're exactly right by that. You're listening to Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Turnboot. The name is not elegant. Neither are the issues that organizations face. Led by a PhD in industrial organizational psychology, you can rest assured that the highest standards and latest in workplace and human behavior science will be used to get your organization results with a tailored plan specific to your workplace needs. Truly helping others, integrity, positive impact, and getting results. That's what we stand for. That's Turnboot Organizational Excellence. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Uh, Dr. Ariana, let's go to you. Yeah, I was just going to add on to the conversation Dr. Martha and Linda Ann were having around culture and how that influences. But I think that something that's really missing is empowerment at some of the lower levels. Sometimes when we talk about creativity or innovation or adaptability, it's almost like, what can we do to make people creative? But what you find a lot of times is that people in their roles have a lot of ideas of how to make their job more efficient, do it better. You know, they like, and I think a lot of times the bottleneck is the disconnect from the top all the way to the bottom. So for example, we were working with a manufacturing company and some of their on the ground welders and workers were like, you know, even the shipments come to the wrong areas and this and this and this. It was like so obvious the way that they were saying it, but it was like all the way up the ladder that that would have to be changed. So I am actually a fan of hierarchy, meaning that I think hierarchy is necessary to create kind of order and specialization. But I think that hierarchy goes too far when the leaders feel like they have to make every decision about how the business runs rather than allowing employees to get involved in what the mission and objectives are and do it really well in their space. So helping empower those employees to have a voice and create a good team in their area is going to help the organization run effectively and become more innovative naturally rather than always having to get this approval from the top, enabling employees to be trusted to a greater degree. Yeah, I really like that. And Linda, we're going to go to you next. But Jeremy, I want to give you a standby because um, you've often talked about the need of the leader to have those micro conversations with those frontline people. So, you know, I'm, I, I'm going to come to you next to reiterate that. But Linda, let's go to you first. I just wanted to um, uh, piggyback on on what Dr. Ariana said. And that's I think we need to be clear about what um, innovation and creativity really is. You know, I think that sometimes we look at it has to be this earth shaking you know, Fantasia kind of event to be considered creative or innovative. And I think Ariana is exactly correct. The front lines kept some of the best um, input into how to make the business better. And it doesn't have to be, you know, hugely different. Just sometimes it's just common sense. But, you know, so what are we really expecting from people when we say we would like for you to be innovative and creative? Well, Jeremy, let me go to you (laughs) because let's talk about that leader who's taking that walk through the factory and those conversations that they should have. And then, you know, we're, you know, absolutely right. What we've heard from Dr. Ariana and Linda Ann, where those frontline workers usually have some of the best ideas. Yeah. And Ariana's brought a nice place for this conversation to go. So that article that I share, I'm going to share, I'm going to, I'm going to try my best Tom, of course, to answer your question, but I'll probably flip flop around a little bit, go around the edges. You know how I do it. So I'm going to share some results from uh, uh, the article, but there's, there's another article it's a meta-analysis from, of a bunch of studies from two, two thousand, the year 2000. And what a meta-analysis is, it's a study, it's a study of a lot of other studies. So it's not an original study with original participants, but they, they take a look at all the literature, what is known, and then they do a compilation and they report their findings. So the one one of the interesting takeaways from the Psychology Today article based on the research, we're looking at the time that you asked about leaders walking around. 
So I'm going to read this verbatim. Analysis showed that as long as workers were comfortable voicing their opinions and making recommendations about issues that affected their work, their confidence in their ability to be creative at work was not shaken by a lack of support for creativity from their supervisors. So my interpretation of this is if somebody, as long as someone's comfortable voicing their opinion, if their supervisor is not actively encouraging them, then that's okay. As long as they're not actively shooting them down. So the, the other part here is for the confidence, for this confidence to be visible in creative and innovative contributions at work, workers need to act on their passion and get support from their supervisors. So creativity is a part of the process for innovation. Creativity is the brainstorming, the idea aspect. The innovation is when you're putting something into a final a product. So in order for that to really happen, to get that full boat, that support from supervisors must happen. The study, you know, there's a lot that goes with workplace passions too. And I think that's a variable that is necessary for this discussion. Tom, you've heard me talk a lot about an individual, I call them Pats, passions, ambitions, and talents. So I think that's one of the variables too. So yes, it's about creating, yes, it's about leaders creating the environment. And how do they do that? They walk around, they ask for suggestions. They ask people to share their opinions, even though they might not be the same as others. The meta, it's interesting, the meta-analysis actually uses the word antagonistic. So they, and I'll, I'll kind of paraphrase here, based on the study of all these studies from the year 2000, and this is a study from 2014 by the, the meta-analysis published in 2014, they propose a typology that reveals a complex and intriguing set of actor context interactions. This is why we as IOs, we have such a hard time talking in corporate because all these, I'm going to finish. This is how complex this sentence is, including ones that are synergistic, synergistic, antagonistic, inhibitory, remedial, and configuratorial, as well as ones that show the patterns of diminishing gains and return and, and diminishing losses. All right. What does that mean? It means just because something seems a little edgy up front doesn't mean it's bad. Look at things as opportunities. If somebody's saying, hey, I'm being I'm, I'm going to be antagonistic here. Great. Now, that, that's great. It, it means that as a leader, you're, you've created that environment. They feel free for they feel free in order to speak up. And they also feel free, kind of like what Roxanne was saying, that, you know, free to speak up without fear of reprisal. And now you can get into what, you know, variables of creating environment. So what does that mean? Social norms. Well, how do you create social norms in the workplace? So we've got to look at not just creativity in terms of uh, an individual actor, an individual, you know, person. We're looking at the product. We're looking at other variables like um, building up one's, one's passions. Leaders simply saying uh, on a scale of one to 10, how well have you acted towards your passion today? Got a sense of fulfillment. You know, simple questions. And then looking at what are the social norms in the organization? What is what is frowned upon, and then how do we how do we work towards that? Tom, I'll turn it back over to you. There's some other findings, though, um, when you have a chance to come back. Well, I, I actually want to go to the chat because uh, Amanda put in a really interesting one. Where has anyone made a mention of the findings that Brené Brown found in her research regarding the root of this uh, scarcity of creativity and innovation within the workplace? that many people stop innovation and creativity from childhood related to ju uh, judgments that were made and created as, a, as an art scar, so to speak. And how do you address that within the workplace? Um, and I'm not real, I've seen a couple of, of Brene Brown's videos um, and really enjoy them, 
but I want to relate it back to the experience that, that I had teaching, you know, especially those first year actors, because they carried those scars. Um, and as someone who is a Linklater practitioner in voice and speech, uh, Kristen Linklater talks about that child as they develop communication, that, you know, they, they start by noticing that if they make sounds, they get noticed that, you know, if I cry, I'm either going to have my diaper changed or they're going to feed me. And then they start to realize that if you can actually put sounds together and create words so that if you say cookie, chances are somebody gives you a cookie and everything is great and wonderful until they're about three years old and they come running into the kitchen going, mommy, mommy, I want a cookie. And the response they get is good girls and boys don't ask for cookies in like in that way. So they start to get pushed down and the creativity starts to get shrunken. And, you know, especially with this generation coming into the workforce now, they all have trauma. Like I haven't met a first year acting student who didn't have seri some serious trauma when it came to creativity and being shut down. So for me, it was the process of slowly guiding them. First of all, taking away the judgment so that they were, you know, they weren't scared to be creative and then showing them how wonderful failure were, was. So they got to the point where they could fall flat on their face, get back up and go, okay, that didn't work. Let me try this. So I think it's a slow process, but it can be managed. Joe, great to see you with your hand up. Let's go to you. Jeremy, we'll come back to you, then Dr. Martha. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, I just want to go off of what you said for a second, Tom. And I really think that K through 12 academic institutions and higher education really teach us to have a fear of failure. Um, in a lot of cases, people, their final product that they give to their leader, their teacher has to be 90% or better already, like from the get-go. That's the first draft essentially, because most people don't turn in drafts for a grade in any way, shape or form. And so I think like you're talking about people, kids are naturally creative, but our education system really teaches them a fear of failure. And that was, uh, that was one of the most difficult things to deal with as a professor was I could motivate students who were struggling to be motivated and struggling to see the meaning in the material. I taught a lot of industrial organizational psychology classes, and it was the kids who were really uh, uh, performance oriented instead of mastery and growth oriented that really struggled uh, just to be creative, to be innovative. Uh, they would not try anything unless it came with a grade, unless it could improve their grade. So there was a lot of struggle there to get them to view anything that was meant as a growth opportunity. Um, they would not try it. They would be very, very, very hesitant. They've always been taught that you need to focus on getting that A. It's always about the A. Uh, if you try something new out, something that might be outside of the norm of what you think your professor is looking for, uh, that's punished in a lot of cases. And so even if there's one or two teachers here or there that are really great, that foster creativity, our education system overall uh, really teaches them that you have to stay in a cookie cutter mentality, stay within the lines, uh, don't be creative, don't be innovative. And I think a lot of organizations, if they do want employees that are creative, that are innovative, the first thing they have to say is, listen, the way you were incentivized in academia, in our educational system, that is the complete opposite 
of what I'm looking for. Um, our education system, it's really a form of punishment. There's very little reward. There's very little reinforcement. Uh, it's all about, I'm taking away part of your grade. I'm taking away this part of your grade, et cetera, et cetera. And so um, we have to get them first to recognize that, well, no, we first have to have an incentive system that is based on reinforcement instead of punishment. And then we also have to get them to be oriented towards uh, uh, trying, towards experimentation, uh, get rid of that fear of failure that they've learned throughout their entire time in education. Thanks, it's, Tom. It, it's really, well, you're right, Joe. It's really hard to convince students that, you know, the grade doesn't matter. It's about what you're learning, what you're picking up, because the retort is, yeah, but I need to apply for that scholarship. <laughs> and, and that's the first, you know, first thing they're going to look at are your grades. Dr. Jeremy, let's go to you. Look at all these hands up. It's like we're at a concert. <laughs> the Tom, you've heard me speak before about um, motivation, right? People say, how do we motivate people? And you've heard me say a lot of times it's not about motiv motivating people. It's about removing the barriers to motivation. People are naturally motivated. I think the same thing is, is really supported here with creativity. It's removing barriers to that creativity, which when we look at all this research, that's really what it is. You're creating the environment for people to speak up, but therefore you're removing barriers. So I think that's really important here. On that note, supporting supporting this you know contention here, this meta-analysis, I'll paraphrase. The, uh, so all the studies they looked at, uh, they go on and say this body of research suggests that relying on selection to promote creativity is unlikely to achieve intended results because you can hire as many creative people as you want, but if it's unsupported in the organization, you're not going to get it, which I think that might be one of the biggest findings from this particular meta-analysis that companies should, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a big moment. It's an aha moment because you can't, it's the same kind of deal. Unless you're going to remove those particular barriers, what, what's going to happen then? So on this note, going back to the, the whole childhood issue, I'm going to speak to the childhood part and I'm going to make a parallel to how leaders can do it in the organization. We often, you know, just for example, you know, we look at uh, emotional intelligence and, and all, all this stuff, child psychology, right? One of the things, just a, a tip for all the parents out there, it's not, you know, when children cry, there's a certain need there. And one of the worst things that you can do when a children cries is say, stop crying, stop crying, stop crying, because it's, it's, it, it, we were not going to get into it. But instead of doing that, something that you can say, and it's very, very effective. You're, you're crying, you're frustrated. It seems like you're upset. You're frustrated because, and then say why they're, why they're frustrated. And then say, you really wanted X, Y, and Z because X, Y, and Z, whatever, you know, you really wanted the ice cream because ice cream is cold and it feels good on your lips. But you say, and you say that four times, you're really frustrated because you want an ice cream, ice cream is cold. And all of a sudden they feel heard and understood. And they're all, of a, you just completely decompress, you know, everything's decompressed now. And then you can move on from that. But you'll notice when that happens, everything is completely different. And it's the same kind of thing. You know, how do we, we're not, I like to parallel the childhood the child, you know, behavior stuff with the workplace, because yes, we need to have adult to adult conversations, but at the same time, you know, we're human. So leaders can say the same thing. It's not, you know, leader, how can leaders foster this type of thing? Know your work, know your workforce. You're sitting there in a meeting. I had, oh my gosh, I was on the phone with someone and they knew I, I had something to say because I took it. They could hear me take a slight breath. I went and they said, oh, go on. I, and I said, no, 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 you go ahead. 
but usually, you know, face to face, if I'm in a meeting, you know, Tom, you've been with me plenty. You can tell if I'm where my eyes are, you know, if I have something to say. So encourage that. Hey, it looks like you have an, it looks like you might have an idea. It looks like you might have, you know, it looks like you might have a challenge to this. Invite the challenge, invite people to say, uh, okay, what's why, you know, why won't this work? What's an idea that's, what's the most outlandish idea that someone can bring to the table? What's one of the wildest ideas that would likely, that we would likely say, that's the most ridiculous idea I've ever heard. So those are, those are kinds of, you know, some of the things that you, that you can say, but then also, you know, again, it's about seeing things from other people's perspective and not just going off of our knee jerk reaction. Tom. Well, you know, Jeremy, it's really interesting because if you got a group, if you were in a group of people and you said, say the most outrageous thing that we could actually never implement, but it's a thought, they would say, okay, here's my most outrageous thing. And I can guarantee you that everyone else sitting at the table would go, that's not so outrageous. Dr. Martha, let's go to you. We're hearing some really excellent points here. And, you know, it's, it's so interesting to think of promoting creativity at work as this organizational challenge or organizational responsibility. But look at what the organization is facing in addition to their own household, if you will. They're facing all sorts of programming that goes back to the formative years, fear of failure, uh, fear of being too creative, especially if your creativity is disruptive or loud or inconvenient for your parents, your environment, be quiet, sit down, stop that. And then as Joe was saying throughout all of your school years, failure is bad. Somebody may say to you, it's about the lessons you're learning, but as um, you know, as the point that was made, well, I need to apply for a scholarship. So what are we looking at here in terms of the organization? The organization has to clean up their own house, clean up their own culture, and what become a therapist or or this is this is a tall order, right? So that's not to say that we shouldn't strive for it, but we have to be realistic. I, I love the conversations that we as IOs have because bless our hearts, we mean well, but we always have this idea, it seems, there's this overall theme that I'm always recognizing. We're gonna give you the answer. Mr. Organization, President, or whoever leader, and you're going to implement it and it's going to be great. But we have to be realistic that there are many challenges and there are different things that need to be addressed and it might take some time. Again, not to say that we shouldn't engage and move forward, but we have to be realistic so that we're not disappointed and the client, the organization isn't disappointed either. We don't want to sell them this promise that as long as you implement everything we say, it's going to be great because it might take some time and effort before they start to see changes. Yeah. Especially if we're changing culture, you know, to me, that's a year long process to start <laughs> and then you just keep going. Linda, let's go to you. And then Dr. Ariane, we're going to come to you. Yeah. I'd like to um, uh, thank Joe for bringing up the information about, you know, how the children are raised in our, in our educational system and, and kind of, squash and you definitely need to be that that square fit into that square hold whether you're a square or a round peg right so um and i spent seven years teaching so one of the things that i and i left because the education system fostered mediocrity and
And I thought outside the box, you know, I would set up because of this structure, whatever, I had my kids every other day, it was seventh grade. And so I had 180 kids. And um, so I set them up on a s- independent study. And they had a plan. They had me every other day, they had to make their own schedule. I didn't allow for class time for for prep, they had to assign themselves homework. So if they had something scheduled for a certain day, they had to do their their lab stuff ahead of time, but they had to do that themselves. Um, They had prerequisites in the stations. I had six or seven stations set up. They had to work cooperatively. Um, And I could, I always called it structured chaos, but I could just say, go for it. Once we were ready to start class, they went and moved to their stations. They got their work done. There was no behavior issues. There was, um, uh, I got to spend more time individually with them. And when they said, well, you know, they had their hypothesis and the experiment didn't work. And I was like, that's why it's called an experiment. So make an adjustment, do it again, figure it out, you know? And, um, but that was, that was, that was different. Let's put it that way. Um, and then when I would grade them on projects, a lot of times I would have them come in and talk to me and say, okay, is this, did you put your best effort forward? Is this your A? Is it, you know, and have them decide, did I make the best effort? And, And it's not just a, well, what you did wasn't, good enough. And you get people outliers that'll say yes or no and, and whatever. But for the most part, they were really honest about their effort. And so I think that we underestimate children and we underestimate adults. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I have, we've just seen where I'm living, the, them go through the process of redesigning the education programs for K to 12. And when you look at the changes they've made, They've just rearranged the, you know, the chairs on the Titanic. They haven't actually redeveloped education for this generation, which is, you know, something we, you know, I'd be interested to, to ask when you implemented this type of practice with the kids, what was the support like from the school or the school board? Were they like, hey, this is great and wonderful? Or was it just more like, oh, well, that's that's interesting. Let's let's get back to what we're doing. No, I had I had that particular principle was thought it was great and people and people loved it. And um, but, you know, I always thought teaching science. I had a cakewalk because, you know, fun stuff. But anyway. <laughs> and then you went to HR <laughs> to work with more kids. Uh, Dr. Ariana, let's talk to you. Yeah, I, I love this like concept of creating space for just taking time away from our typical day to day jobs or whatever we're doing to allocate a little bit more time towards being innovative. So one example that I wanted to bring up is there's a tech company and they allow 10% of their employees time to be whatever they want. So I don't know the ins and outs of all of it, but I think that there are some, I don't, I'm just going to like go a little bit out here and you can just take it as a hypothetical, but allowing, let's say they're software engineers. So 10% of their time can create anything they want. And so I think that's such a cool model because it allows for exploration. It allows for openness. People get really passionate about their own like pet projects. And then you never know what kind of product might emerge from that, that you could actually take to the market that came from this 10% allowing. And that, that also feels like an employee benefit in some ways, because they're allowing you that time and space to allocate your time to this creative process. I think it's so important 
to let people experiment and to try different things. And sometimes you have to do experiments just to see or to put yourself in a situation where you can really be a learner. Uh, I remember one theater program I was working with, um, they didn't do this for the first years. They waited for their second year students. Uh, so they had a little, <laughs> a little tougher skin, but they had, I think it was three days in a row where the men had to come to school wearing a dress, makeup, have their hair done. The women had to come to school in a business suit. And after three days, the report is the, from the women is, yeah, nobody noticed me. The reaction that the guys got was a huge learning experience from them on the perceptions of people in a general audience. So, you know, why can't we have more of that in the corporate world where sometimes, you know, give me 10% of my day to just run these kind of experiments, which may just open my eyes to something else. Um, Jeremy, let me come back to you because we've got about nine minutes left. So maybe you want to give us an update on what's happening with CBOC and then are there some things that we can start to do or that we need to be talking to organizations or maybe are there things that organizations need to be doing to really start to foster creativity in their organization? But first, what's going on with CBOC? Uh, yes. And then I want to say something per uh, in regards to Ariana's point, which is very good. And then I'll answer that second question as far as CBOC. So this got me thinking. So <clears throat> we're, we're thinking about doing a, uh, a peer group for our IO Career Pathfinder members. Where can you just just appears and they meet every often? And now I'm thinking, why you know why not do a post and why not say, hey, what are all your wild and craziest ideas for the peer group that can make it the most effective for everyone who is looking for direction in their IO career? So maybe maybe that's a good way to go about because you know at first glance it's oh that's a creative idea. How about a peer group? You know that's just that's that's a scratch. So um, maybe we'll do that. And then the, uh, the, the lead of that peer group can start to take some of those ideas and implement them. And we can create that environment, that space for people to be, get creative with their, own, with their own IO careers. So thank you, group here today for opening my mind a little bit on that. Uh, what else is going on? We have our round two on the, oh my gosh, it's uh, next Tuesday already, our happy hour. That's going to be for round two, uh, HR and IO, what's the relationship? And we're looking at some of the new things that are happening with the fields. Next week, our topic is seven new HR functions and how IO plays a part. And that will be a little bit of an offshoot of our happy hour, because again, we're looking at those particular functions. So I wanted to mention with, uh, from Ariana's standpoint, she mentioned uh, in the chat about feasibility with the wild and crazy ideas. It helps people say, here's where I want to be. And that gives us an idea of what we can do that's feasible. And I found that usually within three steps back of the wild idea, something that's actually feasible when you, when you walk it back. Well, that's not feasible, but what, what else? But what else? But what else? By the time you get to your third, but what else? You've got something directly based on that wild and crazy idea that's implementable and that it, it, it makes good use of an organization's time resources. I've done this activity with HR and recruiting multiple times. It's, it's, it's a very effective mind-opening activity that can be done. And as far as, Tom, you mentioned organization, like what can organizations do? You know, the bottom line takeaway from both of those studies were train your managers, your leaders on how to create an environment and invite people to, you know, for their passions to come out, A, and also 
to, to ask, to ask questions and, and to be creative, just create that creative environment. And, you know, it could be tough. We've talked a lot, you know, some leaders are uh, promoted because they're good at a task and not necessarily creating the, you know, good work spaces. So that's, that's, that's the goal. Uh, if you're a leader, that's what you can do. And that's the idea. And is, but isn't it um, IOs and HR professionals who need to start blowing this horn that, you know, there is a shift coming, there is a culture change coming and creativity is going to be a part of it. And if you don't join the parade, you're going to be a memory on the economic landscape in five or 10 years. Yeah. And Tom, this whole episode is that horn. We're, we're uh, <laughs> everyone that talked, I think was blowing that horn. So yeah, that's uh, the economic landscape. I love that. So, so how does CBOC as an organization help the IO? Maybe it's just to get that conversation. Yeah. So we, we do, we do so much in terms of, you know, a, you know, how are you, how are you building that community and belonging? So that uh, help for IOs to, you know, just like this space that we're creating now. And then of course, you know, gonna have to do a shameless plug here. We have our, <laughs> Hey, so we have our expert you know, professional memberships for, for those who are established experts. And then of course, for the up and coming IOs. And we're we're a lot we're creating that environment and also the opportunities for IOs to get together to work on projects to feel that 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 level of support and ask the questions that you know we all as more seasoned IOs wish that we would have had. And then company wise, you know we have we we have a bank of really talented IO professionals to provide the consulting services, to provide the coaching, and to you know we even have our membership for uh, organizations. So they can engage with us, but not feel like they're, you know, set on. I mean, I'm getting into this huge consulting relationship where they can still feel that support, kind of like our. It's it's modeled off after what we do for for our pathfinders in terms of that those those calls with the experts, et cetera, et cetera. Do Do you think that leadership is hearing this message? Do you think that they're even aware that you know creativity may be the key, but changing the culture is something they need to do? Do you think they're listening to that yet, or? Or are they still blinded by what happened, you know, the way we were doing business before the pandemic? I think it's a little bit of, I think it's, it's, it's both. So many things have been put on the back burner and there's just so many different, I mean, look at all the different tipping points that are coming along in organizations, just in terms of here's what we need to do. Here's what we need to do. Some of it comes to manpower. Some of it comes to changing the mindsets of, of leadership. Some of it comes to, we want to do it, but we don't know who to contact. Some of it comes to we we would love to, but we don't even know where to get started. And some some are still in the well. We've got to get buy in from our leaders, and they're not going to go for this kind of a thing. So it's 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 managing all the relate all the stakeholder relationships within an organization, and that's when it comes to organizations to go back and say, kind of go back to what you said, Tom. What's the economic landscape look like? Where are we headed? And how are we going to make sure that we're not only sustainable? Five, 10, 20 years from now, but how are we going to be able to, to brave and, and get through everything that the world puts at us from a financial, tech, um, social aspect? And that's where it's, it goes back to creating that long-term plan, envisioning out. Leader, successful leaders think about the future as something like, like 15% of the time, but on average, most leaders think about the future about it's like 3% of the time. So that's one thing too is I mean if you're a leader simply engaging in these exercises where you know it sounds a little little odd but write a future email to yourself and see how that looks and then the next day respond to it doing these tiny little things as, as leaders can help you 
get yourself into a better place and open up really your own creativity, which is again, what uh, we're all about here today. So is it, can we put the responsibility um, on HR and IOs to engage with leadership and to start to have these conversations? Ooh, the responsibility. I think naturally it's our responsibility and kind of back goes back to what Martha, what Martha was saying about where a lot of us, you know, we have this altruistic nature uh, about us. And maybe we should do a show on, on, is there such thing as true altruism? I think that would be quite an argument. <laughs> maybe we'll do that one. We're already getting to we, the panel. <laughs> yeah. So it's, um, it's, it's about getting there as influencers and, and, and moreover moving from, from a simple practitioner standpoint to a strategic advisor and a trusted advisor in the workforce. And then that's when it goes back to building that trust and that rapport, and then also being able to support things with that analysis. So is it our responsibility? Yes. And I think, I think, you know, every IO out there is, you know, more than, more than suited and more than gung ho about doing it. And it's just about finding it's that age old thing. How do you not change people's minds, but how do you allow them to see different perspectives by first seeing their perspective and then asking the right questions to take them to a place and their companies to a place better than where they're headed. And with that, we've run out of time. <laughs> Man, these hours go by so quickly. Um, once again, because we're having such great conversations here and sharing so much great knowledge. Um, Jeremy, we've talked about next week's shows. We talked about the uh, special event coming up next Tuesday. Um, anything else you want to reflect on as we wrap this up? I don't believe so. All right. Um, anybody in the panel want to give a quick uh, last word? Well, we've talked so much, we're all exhausted. All right. <laughs> well, thank you much, everyone. And Jeremy, with that, if you want to count us out, uh, we'll see everybody next week. Beautiful time today, everyone. Thank you so much. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.